0: This episode of The Only Podcast About Movies was recorded a little differently. Due to a super fun story Shahir will tell in the beginning of this episode, we had to record in separate spaces. So if you hear any echoes, pops, or other audio discrepancies, specifically on Shahir's side, please pay them no mind. And hopefully we'll be back to normal next week. Enjoy the show. no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. My name is Matthew Kroll. And Dollars and Broken Promises, that's what this is all about. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Widows. Uh Hopefully neither of us will become a widow. I mean, uh, that's the goal? Yeah, uh, that's hashtag the goal in life. life goals. <laughs> it could happen. happen. Of course, it could happen. There is a
1: it is a very circuitous uh, path to get to that point, but yes, it could happen.
0: The, I mean, why are we starting on such a dark note? Because
1: we're doing a dark movie, and that's what I like. Okay, it's pretty much. Uh, and this is also a weird episode because uh, though normally, though we are actually only. Uh, Maybe divided by uh, 20 or so meters. We are in different rooms today. And that is because I have a contagious illness. uh, (laughs) You son of a bitch. (laughs) Which I think is quite funny, to be honest with you. Tell Um, us about your illness. Uh, so one of the things they don't teach you about in uh, in uh, prenatal classes is hand, foot, and mouth disease, <laughs> which is the coxsackie virus. Um, oh, there's a lot of yeah, words yeah. you just said. I know, and it's basically uh, very common in daycares. It's uh, you know, it's uh, under five year olds are very susceptible to it. Okay, and uh, it's basically just a series of spots that appear on your skin. Um, the most painful of which can be inside your throat for the kid now usually what happens is, is these is passed on these can be passed on to the parents but most parents don't uh, exhibit symptoms and most parents don't ever get the virus, but me being the childlike Peter Pan syndrome-ridden person that I am uh, is uh, the exception to the rule, and I am now uh, covered in spots, as Matt is can plainly see in video in the video. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're I not look. You're not like looking I, like
0: your best self.
1: No, and I can't shave either, and I've been in bed for the last two days, so it's been a bit of fun here. And the worst part is, is. Uh, <laughs> And this might be crossing the line of no, too much information, it. but but you get them inside your throat, Gah. which makes it really hard to swallow. <laughs> so I've been eating a lot as well. But what what's interesting about this experience, if I'm going to bring it back to a movie-going experience, okay, is what I've been thinking about is you're best sick. I can do nothing else but watch a movie. Kind of movies. Oh, because I got mine. I got mine. Oh, yeah? What, what, what's that for you? Wayne's World and
0: Wayne's World 2.
1: Oh, so good. So yeah. good. Movies you can just turn on and you're sick and you can just, you, you know, like you are curled up, you got what you need, and and they're there to comfort
0: you. They right? should prescribe that shit. What about you? What have you been watching? Uh, well, I do this thing, which is
1: that whenever I, I, I don't have this time to like not work and, um, and sit around and do nothing kind of thing. Um, <laughs> Big time often. stuff very often so when it comes i get into this mode where i'm like oh i've got all these movies i've got to like catch up with now that i've been meaning to see and so rather than the comfort movies that i want i kind of go into that mode although for comfort movies i don't know why this is probably a pretty sad indictment on me but um david finch's zodiac is one that (laughs) i can always throw on and watch start to finish uh, pretty easily. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> uh, I also like, uh, Michael Mann's the insider for that reason. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, JFK. I could watch all three of those movies back to back. Wow. Uh, no issues. The movie I watched, uh, this time around is I had a copy of the red shoes, the Michael power, press film. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about that is I, cause I bought that on criterion like a while back and I didn't really, you know, I was like, I'm just going to watch this one day, you know, cause it's a nice criterion collection version of that film. It's a movie that looks amazing in Technicolor. Sure. Um, and I was watching it and then I had to stop it because I got a phone call for some work and stuff and I was doing some things and usually it's a it's a pretty good indicator of how I feel about a film was whether I'm willing to come back to it in those mm. situations. And what I found with the uh, the red shoes, I was like, I, I did find it actually pretty comforting because it's very old timey, you know, like it's, it's very English upper crustman sort of talking very highfalutin about ballet. And there was something sort of like theatrical about it that made me like, oh yeah, I kind of, want, I, I like being in that world and I wanted to go back to it. So I found uh, the red shoes pretty Oddly a kind of a comforting film and then my son came home and uh, we watched uh, Ponyo together the Hayao Miyazaki film. Okay um, So it's sort of odd choices, but Zodiac
0: might be the best indicator of what I can watch at any given moment. Okay. Well, um <laughs> You know I I, I I i Whatever makes you feel better. I want you to feel better. I don't like you being in quarantine I don't I don't like doing this show remotely from a block and a half away Uh <laughs> But, oh, oh, the last thing I do want to mention, I just think it's funny, uh, you know, it's, sorry, more humor at your illness's expense, but hand, foot, and mouth disease. Yeah. Is it a little bit ironic that you, a film critic, has foot and mouth disease?
1: Oh, it's uh, its not ironic at all. It is entirely appropriate <laughs> that I have – it should be ha- – uh, What? Uh, Foot, yeah, no, get my foot out of my ass. I don't know what it is. I don't I know hand foot and ass disease.
0: Anyway, we're not talking anymore about she hears poor Portia here. Let's <laughs> all be very nice to him uh, today, it, myself included. Yeah, <laughs> thank um, you. I appreciate <laughs> you. Cut to ten minutes later when I'm screaming at you about an opinion. Um but yeah so uh, before we get into widows um, which uh, we we both uh, we both undertook this week uh, do we have any contact with the outside world here in your in your quarantine yourself who oh, has been, been discussing uh, with the OnlyMoviePodcast podcast at gmail.com or only movie pod on Twitter community uh,
1: I have ha- been going furious on Twitter because I am home I am <laughs> alone I yeah. have got nothing to do so I am I am Donald Trumping my my Twitter, my oh. Twitter up right now. I'm rage-y. so
0: you're constantly denying climate change and and saying that shooting tear gas at children is good.
1: Oh, oh God, <laughs> <laughs> can't even joke about these things anymore. I know. But anyway, but uh, the fun uh, there's two fun things that happened on Twitter this week with our Twitter account. Yes, um, one is that Guillermo del Toro started tweeting about unproduced scripts that he had written uh, that hasn't been out and and that that have never come out. And he sort of talked about how each of these were like. A year and a half's worth of work, and there was something like 10 of them. So he was talking about how all these films he really works hard on never never see the light of day. And I asked him a question, and he replied to me uh, oh. about um, The Hobbit. Uh, so I asked him about, you know, like wh- how much of his unproduced script in The Hobbit was there. And he said, no, that is a produced script. You know, he's co-wrote that. Um, uh, and I was kind of curious about how, how much the final versions reflected what he wanted to do. Because if you remember the thing with The Hobbit is Guillermo del Toro came to New Zealand to work on that. Eventually, I think he and Peter Jackson maybe clashed a little bit and he and he left the project. Um, so this is one of those sort of... Unf- uh, what if such a is like, what if Guillermo del Toro had directed The Hobbit as sure. one movie instead of three? Um, the second thing was that I thought was really funny uh, was that a lot of people were talking about Widows this week and um, uh, there was... Uh, another critic on Twitter that was talking about what their favorite scene from Widows was and I replied with what my favorite scene was and I and I kind of just underscored it with also any scene with Cynthia Erivo in it and then Cynthia Erivo liked my tweet oh uh, which was and, and I didn't even tag her in it which means she must have been looking for uh, looking for anyone you know mentioning of her but I thought that was nice and I was like oh I should follow up with like how good I thought I watched it, but I didn't want to push it too far right um but uh, a couple of other tweets we got this week uh, was, oh, this is a, this you'll like this. Okay. A tweet from Franker Z who uh, enjoyed our, uh, who enjoys the podcast. Thank you for that, Franker. Uh, but wanted to point out about my pronunciation of, uh, I, and I'm going to pronounce this the way I was pronounced it, Denis Villeneuve. Oh, yeah. And he even, and Franker Z decided to send me a video of someone uh, teaching people how to pronounce uh Deli Dini villeneuve. villeneuve. No, hang on, Dinny Villeneuve. Deli
0: Villeneuve. Dinny Villeneuve. Dini villeneuve.
1: Dini villeneuve. Dini villeneuve. Yeah, I'm just gonna like, you know, cough during every say time it. I real pronounce. quick, that's what I do. So I think I got the Denny right, but I was kind of overemphasizing the Villeneuve. Maybe you have to be like Danny. <laughs> dinny. Oh hi Danny. Oh hi Danny. Oh hi. Oh hi
0: Danny I- Villeneuve.
1: <laughs> um, I will say in my defense that it's because neuve is the way that you would pronounce neuve in New Zealand, so Nouvelle-Zélande in, in French, but I was overemphasizing the neuve, and it's neuve. Okay. So thank you, Frankie Z. I appreciate the uh, <laughs> the pointing. No, I actually, I actually do because I I, uh, I love the French <laughs> language, and I hate to ruin it um and we also got an email from a friend of the show steven who says he really enjoyed our experiences play uh experiencing places through film uh episode his wife uh and he were took uh, took one of the worst christmas holidays uh after six months of freelancing uh for the bbc in london um and he had to scrap his last-minute travel plans and ended up Going to uh, the island, uh, Port Marion, Wales. Okay. But uh, no he not the island. He went to Port Port Marion, Wales, where they filmed The Prisoner, the old T V show, which ah. I haven't watched a lot of. And he said it was just such an incredible experience because uh, the show reminded, you know, like the, the, the show took such, a, such advantage of the location that when he went to the location, all he could think about was being in the show. And it was such a great experience of like combining his love of the show and this sort of amazing experience of being there. So uh, thank you, Stephen, for that. Uh, I kind of followed it up with a couple of places that I really love, which I think I mentioned in that episode as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Vietnam being one of the top of them because of a film called The Vertical Rays of the Sun. So, uh, again, if you have any other feedback or comments, uh, please email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter where you can find me rage-tweeting about all things cinema. Um, <laughs> well, well, or, or just rage-tweeting about
0: general uh, illnesses that you might be... Oh, uh, my God. I haven't tweeted about hand, foot, and mouth disease yet. I should tweet about it. And see you should. One. You should hashtag one. that. See what other Z-list internet celebrities, much like ourselves, are are afflicted with said disease at some point. I-
1: I think you're overestimating us by using the word celebrity. <laughs> I said Z-list. Even, I think we're
0: lower than Z-list. No, no, no. Anyone who puts content on the internet is a Z-list internet celebrity.
1: Oh, I I disagree with that, but I don't think this is the time nor the place to, to debate. I think I'm we are sorry. just part of the Z, population.
0: Z-list internet celebrity. No, no, no. Celebrity. I just think we're
1: part of the population.
0: Okay. Listen, no, content is king. We're making that sweet content here <laughs> at the lowest rung. All right, but moving on to Steve McQueen's
1: Widow, an adaptation of a Lydia LaPlante uh, miniseries that was eventually turned into a novel.
0: When did that come out? Uh, 1983. Okay, so let's talk about this for a second. So, let's talk about in the, 1983. Okay. Yeah, the, the, the year was 1983. No, so this movie, and I think you brought this up before in a Wreck-It Ralph uh, episode, where we were talking about directors talking about their thing before the movie. Right. Did Steve McQueen come on your screen first and and yes, say thank you for coming and whatever? So yeah. again, that was a. I, I liked that one better. I did not than like the, it. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't like it either. But I'm saying I liked it better than the Wreck It Ralph one. Yes, of course, but there yes. was something that was very interesting that he said. He said, "I've been wanting to make this film since I was a child, or I was young, or I was something." He said something where I was like oh okay I thought this was gonna be a dark like weird like not like just a sort of like dark violent film and it was a dark violent film and I was like this is the movie? This uh, well, is the one? So wait, what do you, what do you, what do you. <laughs> it's just strange, like, it, I, I wish I remembered his exact words.
1: No, I, I remember him saying that he's been, he since he was, when he was growing up, he wanted to make this movie, When he right? was
0: growing up, he wanted to make this movie. And I guess that could mean like teenager, or whatever, but I guess when people mention that, I instantly go to like childhood, childhood. Uh, okay. It, it's, it's, it's my perception of it. There's nothing wrong with what he said. He but, was like,
1: 14 years, he would have been 14 years old, I just did the math, okay. uh, when he would have seen uh, Widows on TV. Right, so uh, I, maybe. But this is a, this is interesting as well. This is because I I I think I wanted to make pretty like I know I wanted to make Batman the Dark Knight Returns when I was like ten years old.
0: I mean, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you might be pulling me around on this. I wanted to make a bunch of weird edge lordy nonsense when I was yeah. young. Uh, yeah. So yeah, totally, totally. Okay, I, you know, I take it back. I still it, it just at the moment. It threw me because in my brain, I was like, when you're young and I was thinking like when I was young, I was making like stupid, like tape recorded radio shows when I was like nine or eight or seven. Like this might know. be this might be the core of like my neurosis as a,
1: as a filmmaker. But I think when I was young, I wanted to make I did want to make pretty dark, gritty stuff. And, it, and I think it came from this idea of wanting to be taken seriously.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, 100 you know percent. I mean? Later on yeah. high school, you try to be dark and gritty and then you realize you can't be. <laughs> uh, because you're literally not a full person yet.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I think I think you can be. There are there are examples of filmmakers who's, who made their you know amazing work young. But but yeah, no, I think it I think it came from like that sort of sense of wanting to be taken seriously. Of course, as an artiste. Because you're
0: an artist and you're you're tortured and you're dark and you, need, an you yeah. need And you need
1: to show the world how tortured and dark the world really is. Yeah.
0: Because they don't yeah. know. Only yeah, you don't. know.
1: Yeah, you've got access to that sort of minefield of, of terror in your brain. Yeah, it's called um, puberty. The other film that we mentioned, uh, widow that I mentioned, widows in, that I was the reason I was excited for widows. And again, I did the thing which I don't watch any trailers. Didn't watch. You know, as soon as I knew Steve McQueen making widows, I was uh, making a heist movie. I was like, all in. Yeah, don't need don't need any more information. Take my money. Uh, but we talked about it in our Oceans Eight review um, because we talked about. Uh, uh, I guess we were you know we were we were having that conversation about female reboots of male properties. yes and I think my point with oceans 8 was that I didn't think it uh, I, I don't you know I'll stand by this I don't I don't think oceans 8 is a very good movie and I would rather that there were new properties for uh, female uh, ensembles to take on that didn't have any reminiscence of the, you know, it wasn't like, let's do a female version of Oceans, let's just make our own thing. Uh, and that's what I was kind of hoping for, and that's what got me excited about Widows. Now, had you heard much about Widows going into it other than me talking about it?
0: No, uh, I'd seen the trailer and I really liked it. Um, I do think the... I, I don't know, uh, this is gonna... <laughs> this will strain me a little bit, but I I don't know... In my head, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, Oceans, I'm, Oceans 8 and Widows are in such disparate categories of oh, film. Entire, entirely. I wouldn't even, like, now it's, it's, I I, you, I can't, uh, um, and I won't because it would be stupid, um, sort of like, you, you, everyone is welcome to like one better than the other. In fact, I haven't even tried to put them up against each other. Yeah. Um, but I, I just I, I wouldn't even sort of breathe them in the same sentence. One is delivering a specific experience, and the other one is delivering a very different experience. The only tie is sort of the the focus on an all female, well, not even all female cast because obviously there's men in this film as well, uh, and there's uh, one or two men in Oceans Eight as well too. So it's just like I don't, I wouldn't it, even I think, have I thought to point put for them me together. Is is
1: there is that widows? Uh, sorry, Oceans Eight in my mind is trying to do what Widows does without ever trying, what Widows does without even trying to do it. Widows does it, Widows delivers an all-female heist film. If that's your baseline, Widows does that without making an issue or deal out of it or, or making it the selling point of the movie. Oceans 8 seemed to make that the selling point of the movie. You know, like, hey, we're doing an Oceans film, but it's an all-female cast. Just like Ghostbusters. Hey,
0: we're doing Ghostbusters, but
1: instead of all men, it's all women.
0: I don't think and it I th- did, though. I think you're, you're confusing what the film is trying to do with what the marketing is trying to do.
1: Well, I think inherently by by taking the oceans franchise and slapping it onto it and then reconfiguring the cast That's what it's doing, right? I,
0: no, I mean, I, I think they wanted to do something different with it And that ch- is sort of the ch- the chosen angle they decided to go with but I don't yeah. think that the movie itself is about that There's moments that it comes into play in the plot sure,
1: right? Uh, I guess I guess my criticism there is I don't think the movies about much and I don't think the, well, the movie
0: oceans 8 been, is about having a good time I mean all and, the oceans and, films are about having a good time. There's very little emotional resonance in an Oceans movie.
1: I I would argue that the first three movies, and I made this argument in that podcast, that the first three movies have a much clearer through line about what they're about, Uh, whereas Oceans 8 is just simply, in my mind, kind of a fairly... A misguided uneven marketing exercise i mean i don't, don't think i don't think that movie holds a lot of value
0: for me. i disagree i think the value it holds is just having fun and doing a enjoyable heist movie it doesn't have to say a grand scheme thing uh because again i i think the ocean I, I movies I, I, definitely have uh, you know on occasion one or two things to say but to be honest i've seen each of them multiple times and i can't remember if there was like like whatever specific arc of redemption or whatever was going on I think
1: think you're confusing having something to say with with having a clear through line like I don't think having something to say means that it has to be meaningful I just mean it has to be a clear through line I think that's my issue with, with and I think that is true with Oceans 8 which is about Danny trying to get Tiss back I think that's clear with Oceans 12 when they're trying to reform the team and they're having fun with the idea of like escalating heists that don't need to escalate and I think that's true with Oceans When it's about trying to save one of their older friends who is now in trouble that they've helped all the way through I don't think that's true with Oceans 8 and I think we if you recall from that episode We all got to the end of that film and said I don't really know what um, What Sandra Bullock's character really wanted in this film
0: True but at the same time I think you're forgetting that a through line for a movie Can just be that it is a good time to experience the movie
1: I think that if you to me, if you live enough yeah, okay I mean, so, so so to be clear i think that to me is a poor definition of what a through line is
0: what are you talking about just what i mean okay then let's put it like, this way like for
1: example wayne's world i think is actually has a clear through line about what that film wants to be and is a good time i think just having a good time so the at, clear at the, the,
0: the through line of wayne's world now we're going in the weeds but i'm interested now the through line of wayne's World is wayne coming to terms with what sort of growing up and trying to move his career in a certain way while not losing who he is
1: it's been a while since i've seen wayne's world but it's about in my mind it's about two brisk friends recognizing that their friendship is more important than their work
0: uh maybe half of the second act is about that but i think I, it's but,
1: but again i don't think that that needs to be meaningful i just think it just needs to be clear that that's what the film is about
0: Okay, and I guess Ocean's 8, and again, I'm, I, I, maybe I'm defending Ocean's 8 too much. I just think it just doesn't even belong in the same sort of like, I, I don't think it's a fair comparison to compare Widows to Ocean's 8 just because, hey, there's girls in it. Yeah. Uh, the, the Ocean's Eight's through line, honestly, I think is a matter of seeing how far uh, Sandra Bullock's character, the sister of Danny Ocean, can take a thing, get back at somebody. I don't know. I guess, I yeah. you know what, here's the thing. You are correct in the sense that I can't place uh, a clear, like, here's what this movie is about. But mm-hmm. I will say, every time I think about Oceans 8, I was like, I liked watching that. Okay, and that's not say And totally I can't say that about every Oceans film, to be honest. I think the first two were great. Or is it the first and the third? There's one of them where I was like, why is this here? Yeah, the third one is uh,
1: is not, and I and I don't I don't want to make the case that, and I think I said this in that episode as well. Is I don't want to hold up the oceans films as like the pariah of heist <laughs> right. movies. You know, I just think that they're very clear and concise about what they want to do, and they do them very well. Okay, fair. I think the third oceans movie is pretty bad. Okay, um, but the first two are great. Um, I, I think the reason I mentioned I'm mentioning that is I agree with your point though as well, which is that I don't think widows is in the same category as Oceans. Right. The reason I kind of brought up that comparison is that, is that I think our response to Oceans 8 was very much like, it's very cool to see an all-female heist movie. And I think we all talked about how it was cool to see older women, uh, you know, like stars kind of being badass on screen. And I think for me, the thing here is that Widows does that without ever making that an issue. Um, Widows kind of does that without making that the central focus of what the film is and I think that's the only thing that we latched that we all
0: kind of latched onto with Oceans 8 was that um, again so I, do have the the, un- I do have to lean on the fact that it is a lot of the marketing though it's it's the marketing of the film and and
1: slapping an ocean you know slapping the oceans title on it and you know reconfiguring the cast it kind of that's what it does but the other reason i mean i'm completely excited about this is steve mcqueen uh is a filmmaker that i you know like again gets my money gets my dollars you know regardless of whatever it is he's doing um uh to the point where i've gone back and watched you know steve mcqueen is a filmmaker who started as a video installation artist Mm -hmm. um and and i've always had a i've had a weird kind of like, uh, I guess, shouldered cringe or, you know, twinge or something like that. Whenever I hear about anyone, anyone doing video installation art, there's very few video installation artists that I uh, admire. There's a couple who've done some really interesting work, but usually on a very large scale. Um, and most of the time I kind of watch video installation artists with a little bit of a sort of like nervous twitch in the back of my Why? In the back. of my, I, I just... Now this is over insight, and this is not the case with Steve
0: McQueen. Sure, but I'm just but talking about the, 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 the vocation in general.
1: Video installation in my, like video installation takes the, a lot of times in the video installation work that I've seen in museums, is that it's often the case that the artist wants us to focus our attention on something, but they do it with, you know, like normal video or a home video or something like that, and they put it into the sort of museum gallery context. And it requires us to do, a lot of association work to kind of understand the context of what the video is in, in the context of the space we're in. Okay, And oftentimes I think that, you know, like, <laughs> again, this is very specific to my experiences and I don't want to, you know, like besmirch the video installation artist kind of world. Uh, but I often find that like the work is often, the work that the audience has to do is unrewarding given how often under technically proficient the work is that produced is by the video installation artists a lot of times i've seen like home video vhs put into a gallery space and it's that sort of context work that we have to do
0: sometimes it's very good sure sometimes it's not i (laughs) just want to say you know there there's if you look at (laughs) i mean just (laughs) compare compare video installation artists to film directors okay now there's probably uh well, you know what, I don't even know. I don't know what the, what the like, 3 to 1 ratio or, like, whatever the number difference is between each of them, but you could yeah. find a million terrible ones, but obviously there's, like, 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, like, really excellent ones. So the, I don't and know one, if... if uh, no, 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 and the, and the one guy who is a genius
1: who I've watched, this, I've seen his work, and it's amazing, is, is a guy by the name of Bill Viola. Right. Uh, and he makes these giant installation pieces where... Where the video, the fact that it's a video is kind of part of the experience. Yeah, I'm just talking about like I've been to small galleries where a video installation artist has basically just put up like skate videos in a in a thing, and I've always and I've just that, sure. that's been and, my impression of it, and, and I've kind of always cringed. And now, I've that's always very and I've watched and a bunch
0: of films from directors and been like, you don't know what the hell you're doing, and I've cringed there, but I don't like hate directors. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, that's fair. Video installation is kind of slightly off the topic of what uh, it's like. It's very different to what it is we do, though.
0: Yeah, but it's Um, still it's I'm saying that's why I brought in the ratio thing. It's like, yeah, there's always going to be more bad ones than good ones.
1: Fair. It's it's totally fair. And again, it's just a personal reaction. Okay, sorry. uh, I keep derailing.
0: I I talked about Wayne's World and now I'm all over the place. So uh but Steve McQueen is a video
1: installation artist who'd made the shift into into feature film directing with a film called Hunger uh, which is based on the Bobby Sands uh, um, uh, Hunger um what are they the <laughs> uh, Hunger Pack what do they call that when a uh, a uh, hunger strike oh, Bobby there Sands you go. hunger strike yeah that's the that's the word I'm looking for and that was a remarkable oh. sort of marriage of um of Michael Fass, you know, it was kind of like it brought Michael Fassbender into, uh, mm-hmm. into sort of public into the public limelight. Um, and it was this remarkably cinematic but still oddly experimental film. Um it's have you seen Hunger? I have not. No. It's it's pretty extraordinary in that McQueen kind of he makes a film that looks you know like a movie again, you know from a guy who makes video installation art to kind of transverse into the world of narrative filmmaking you know as opposed to documentary or experimental film is kind of You know, you're sort of like, oh, what is he going to bring to the table? And he makes a film that that kind of sheds all the weight of, you know, where he comes from and just makes sort of a standard film. But he does, he makes odd choices in the film that heighten the experience, that give you something that is very unique. So the examples of this are um, there is a single take scene which you can find, and I think it's 17 minutes, uh, where uh, Michael Fassbender is talking to his priest. um, And it's just a single scene of dialogue, but they never cut away, they never move the camera, and it just stays focused on this one piece of dialogue and the two actors aren't even facing the camera Um, they're sort of uh facing away from the camera slightly and it's just this extraordinary sort of it gets into the zone of like performance art where you're seeing this act these actors kind of like continuing the scene uh in this way that kind of continually elevates it just by staying on this one shot and then he does other things like that like there's an I've only seen the movie once or twice and there is like there is a scene where a, um, a prison guard is push is like scrubbing the floors mm-hmm. and I think it lasts like five to ten minutes or something like that and all, all, literally all that's happening is this prison guard is scrubbing the floors and slowly getting closer and closer and closer to the camera and it's weird because you watch it and go this is sort of indulgent But you start, you you kind of, the storytelling kind of escalates and the cumulative effect of all of this kind of, Cre- creates a bigger whole. It, it creates a bigger sum of its parts, um, and it sort of it was quite a quite a striking debut film. He, of course followed this up with uh, Shame, another um, another follow up with Michael Fassbender, uh, which I quite enjoyed, despite sort of being like uh, it was a movie about six addicts, uh, about right. six addicts in Manhattan. Have you seen Shame?
0: Yes. Uh,
1: yeah, which I. I I quite enjoyed for how serious it was, despite like having one of the most, world's most handsome men being a sex addict in Manhattan. I was like, oh yeah, that's that's really tough, dude. Uh, I mean, it'd but be I, easy to
0: fall into that life
1: if you're Michael Fassbender. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but but I, I I appreciated how serious the film kind of took that subject without ever joking about it. Right. Um, and made it something kind of kind of special. And then, you know, of course, there's Twelve Years a Slave, which won him the Oscar, mm-hmm. uh, which won Best Year Picture, which I, I think has sadly become one of those forgotten Oscar movies. Uh, and it's an entirely well deserved Oscar movie right. as well. Um I, I really, really love that film. I think it's I think it's quite an extraordinary film. Same. I think this the the sum total of what we've got with with Steve McQueen there is this sort of sense that he is someone who is good at making films. <laughs> Uh, I was trying to categorize this last night about existential suffering. Uh, <laughs> you know, he yeah, makes films. Yeah, he makes films about people who suffer because of their because of their beliefs and how strongly they cling to those beliefs. Right. You know, it's uh, certainly the case with Bobby Sands. Um, most notably, it's sort of the most ironic case with. Um, uh, Twelve Years a Slave, yep. and uh, probably the most funniest example of that would be Shame. You know, it's again, it's ex- he is suffering uh, because he has this addiction that is holding him back. So right, think, right. So I think uh, Steve McQueen kind of has this sort of amazing ability to sort of take existential suffering and make it palatable on screen. Um, and then he wanted to do, you know, uh, again, we sort of asked that question: it was like, uh, how do you follow up? You know, uh, a sort of Oscar-nominated, uh, important prestige picture. Um, which is to do a heist movie. Yeah. An all-female heist movie. Matt, can you tell
0: us what uh, Widows is about? I sure can, but I'm going to rip it off from IMDb. Set Go in ahead. contemporary Chicago, amid a time of turmoil, four women with nothing in common except a debt left behind by their dead husband's criminal activities take fate into their own hands and conspire to forge a future on their own terms. Mm. that's that's beyond a normal IMDB synopsis. That's like back of the box
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say so and I guess maybe because it's 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 a property that's already existed So I feel like I've been talking for a while Matt. What did you think of widows?
0: Um, I dug it I also didn't quite know what to expect going in. I, I most certainly didn't think it was going to be as um and maybe I should have, because I had forgotten that it was a Steve McQueen uh, vehicle, and then uh, when I saw him there, I was like, oh. And then I was like, oh, it's going to be, like, kind of you said, sort of existential suffering. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to, this is how I want to do it since I was a kid. And I was like, huh? And then, so I was, I was kind of on that weird, like, teeter point in the beginning of the film, because I wasn't quite sure the tone it was going to take. Um, overall, I thought it was highly effective, and uh, highly effective in ways that... Normally a heist movie is not uh in the sense of how do i put it? it 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 moves your attention or what you find important to very specific parts and it's interesting because while i, I actually uh, Jamie and i when we saw this we couldn't actually remember any characters names okay um but it did not take away from the enjoyment of the film normally if i can't remember a character like a character's Name—that's a dead giveaway for me to uh, sort of have more more issues with the film than not. And this okay. was a case where I think that they only said characters' names like maybe once or twice, with the exception of uh, Elizabeth Debicki, uh, which who who was named Jennifer, or that was like the code name for her or something. It um, wasn't her name, Alice, in the film. Maybe, but they call her Jennifer twice when she during the the part in the, near the end, which we can get into when we get into spoilers. Okay. Um regardless, I was shocked at how much I cared about the situation without being tied to any one specific person, with maybe the exception of Viola Davis, uh, okay. Viola Davis's character, um, who uh, I am now told is named Veronica. Uh, mm-hmm. But I did I don't remember <laughs> that ever okay. happening. Um, I do remember Liam Neeson's character was named Harry because everyone references Harry and it's all about what Harry did and Harry's crew and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I thought that this was a film that took the, the framework of a heist movie and the heisting uh, the heisting is is uh enjoyable but it's definitely not a focal point uh mm-hmm. in my opinion the focal point is how these disparate characters who are loosely tied to a life of crime by their husbands involvement in being in the same crew now handle some some of them have to be involved and some of them just sort of choose to be involved in a weird way uh, based on either financial issues or where they are in their lives or how alone they're feeling you know like there's lots of different reasons why these people all come together to do this mm-hmm. um I also I know you had uh initially said that uh you know any any film uh with um why am i blanking on her name she, uh, you know uh, Bad mm-hmm. Time Cynthia or, Rubio. Uh, is is fantastic I didn't realize that was the same actress from from, Better. yeah, and I was like yeah. that was like, yes! I was yeah. like I love it when I don't recognize actors across films, and that right. just makes me love their performances in both even more I, I'm looking yeah. forward to anything she does Um I I, I, th- I guess sort of to, to wrap up my first thoughts is just, I was so impressed with the emotional re- resonance of a story that I didn't particularly care about any one particular character more than another, and that's very unlike me. Mm-hmm. I normally need to be tethered to uh, specific characters. And obviously, I'm rooting for the women who are doing the heist in this film.
1: Yeah, uh, but like I'm, you weren't going for Robert uh, Robert Duvall's racist dad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, though there's some interesting stuff even with. Um, with, uh, what's his name, with Colin Farrell, uh, yeah. his character, Jack Mulligan, and Robert Duvall's Tom Mulligan, which we can get into soon. I, I just, uh, it was a different kind of enjoyment for me that I hadn't experienced in a while. Mi- mix that with, uh, it is a far more emotional roller coaster, again, for like a group of people as opposed to a single individual that I'm used to seeing in a heist movie. And I thought it was refreshing.
1: Okay. Yourself? Uh, Yes, I absolutely love this film. Um, and, and the thing is, that's uh, for, that's been interesting is that I've had a week to kind of digest this because I saw this uh, sort of a couple of weeks ago. Sorry. Yep. And um, the thing that I, I, you know, look, one of the great heist movies of our generation is Michael Mann's Heat. And the thing that about Michael Mann's Heat that is incredible is that every character in that film feels like they could have their own movie. Yes. And so the thing I, I my my enjoyment of this film stems from kind of maybe the extension of what you're saying uh which is that i was not necessarily tethered to to one character as well but what i loved about this movie was the the notion that i i felt that you could turn the camera on any character and i felt they could have their own entire movie um and i was and i would be absolutely fascinated in that and the fact that they all come together doesn't doesn't uh diminish their role in this film it just kind of heightens the overall soup it's it's that sort of for a food analogy it's that every ingredient here is is giving their fullest potential and i can and i'm enjoying the way in which they're coming together in this film right so i i love that every single character in this film seemed to have a life and existence of their own um, that was truly unique. You know, like, um, to, uh, I, I loved, uh, who is uh, his driver? Uh, I her love driver.
0: that guy. Yeah, uh, he's, he's, he's like a chameleon, too. He's all over the place, and I never, like, he's always in things, and I'm always shocked. Garrett Dillahunt.
1: Yeah, he's actually, he's in The New Girl, I believe, or uh, in Mindy Kaling's show. Uh, oh, okay. The, uh, he, Mindy, and then he's also in Looper. Those are the two things that I kind of- I've seen know him
0: in, I believe he was he was a Terminator in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. He was one of the right. ones that came back a couple times, which was, he was yeah. super fun in that.
1: Uh, I, I like, you know, the fact that he turns up and he's got this, like, there's a sort of story about this football ring that he wears, and that he, and we also, like, get the impression that, you know, like, he has some kind of mental disability. We're not exactly sure what it is, but he speaks a little, you know, he even says at some point, I'm a little slow. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, it's not really mentioned and he has this kind of whole kind of loyalty to the thing. I loved all of that. You know, um, I, and I, And I felt that was true for all the characters. You know, they all had really interesting backstories.
0: Yeah. Um there's something about world building that this movie does incredibly, incredibly well. And it's funny, I just put the thing together with what you just said. On extra credits, we're doing we're working on a new uh season of Extra Sci-Fi about Tolkien and Herbert, basically Lord of the Rings and Dune and how that's affected all All of genre fiction since they were written. And I think there's that we talk a lot about world building and like how you make world building, how you make things in your world feel important and you make them grounded in whatever world you're in. Like, therefore, it can't just be like, oh, Bash wears a. Uh, a Super Bowl ring and then that's how uh, Veronica knows that uh, something may have happened to him right? It can't just be that. We need to know backstory about Bash he's a little slow we don't quite know why when something happens to him and he tells the story about the ring that first like there's a miscommunication people think he's an actual football player but it's all it's all small things that make entire sense in the world that that this film is putting together for every character that makes even and I think that's what helps sort of in your To your point, any one of these characters could hold their own film because we are given enough of their world to basically, in our own heads, build the rest of the character around what we're given, even though it's a two hour and seven minute movie and it's an ensemble piece.
1: Yeah, it's and I think I think that's a kind of incredible thing, and I, I, I think we should give credit to Gillian Flynn there, uh, the screenwriter who wrote yeah. um, Gone Girl and Sharp Objects as well, and you know novelist as well. I think you know I think she had this amazing ability, and it's something true again of Gone Girl and Sharp Objects, you know, two shows that uh, a show and a, and a movie that I really like, that she has the ability to kind of. Make characters feel important. No character in this film feels throwaway. Yeah. Like even the point, like Jackie Weaver, and, you know, an oscar A actress. You know, uh, I love her from Animal Kingdom, and she kind of almost plays a similar style role in this film. She pops up for one scene, and I feel like I have an entire backstory for who that character is, and it informs what we know about Alice um, throughout the rest of the movie. You know? Yeah. So uh, I I think that's what is extraordinary about this film. I uh for ninety percent of this was you know kind of thinking oh my god we have got um the next generation of the film heat you know we have got a film that is on par with heat in terms of its execution its seriousness its its commitment to storytelling its commitment to character yeah there are there are a couple of things later on which get into sort of Third act reveals about this film, which didn't play as strongly for me, and I want to explain why uh, when we get into those reveals. Okey doke. Um, but but on the whole, I I just think this is uh, you know like everything uh, somehow again Steve McQueen has kind of uh, for for someone who came into filmmaking kind of a little bit later in life after having sort of a previous career, um, he kind of gives a masterclass in what filmmaking should be in almost every film he does. Um, you know, that, that is quite extraordinary. So this was, this was, to me, a more exciting heist film than Baby Driver, despite Baby Driver really wanting to hit that note. Um, this was a more compelling ensemble vehicle than Ocean's 8, then despite you know despite those that film wanting to do that and i i don't i don't mean to like sort of besmirch other films in order to raise this one up i'm just saying in that that this film without it it seemingly doesn't try to do any of those things it just wants to do what it does Um, but somehow comes up being the best at everything
0: i mean here's Uh, the deal i i think uh Uh, you know both the movie baby driver i would honestly not even need to call it heist movie it's like a driving action flick because by the end it's literally like cars dancing and exploding and uh the oceans eight we kind of already touched i will say i don't think this film entirely does it effortlessly the, the, the thing that I felt was a little, and again, this is by no means, uh, this is if, you know, if there's nits to pick, um, mm-hmm. the, the underlying story, which I found very interesting, um, between the political candidates of the, of the ward that they were, the precinct or not, what, what's the, what's the grouping of, uh, constituents? I think they're
1: running for, for
0: local, local congressional, um, yeah. So whatever elections. grouping of those, the, 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 two people, Colin Farrell's Jack Mulligan and, mm-hmm. um. I'm trying to remember the actor's name. Uh, 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 sorry. uh, 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 Jamal, uh B- Brian Manning Tirey, Henry Brian Tree Henry.
1: Um, yeah, from uh, Atlanta.
0: Yeah. Um, they're sort of vying for, you know, does it, so sort of understory about this political thing going on, you know, as it's happening. And while I think the undercurrent of that is an incredibly interesting framework to put different aspects here, every time there was a specific, like, talking point about uh, policy, or good or bad, you know, whatever it was, Mm -hmm. the points felt very... Uh, script-righty 101-like, and that's what a liberal would say, and that's what a right-wing person would say. And it was all that... that Those particular moments when it wasn't about the heist, it was just sort of setting up the backstory and the world-building in this film, those moments I, were the only times it knocked me ever so slightly out where I was like, well, that's a canned thing. That's a canned thing. Like, the... but But I will say, I'd much rather have that sort of around to be the backstory because it's at least pertinent for our day and age uh, yeah. than, than anything else. Um, so I do think, for instance, sorry, getting back to your point of it sort of being effortless, I think a lot of it does seem effortless, but there's some parts of this, very slightly, like 2% of it where I'm like, I see you try on there. Like, right. but yeah.
1: And I, and I I think we should jump into spoilers here because the things that I wanna talk about that I think didn't land for me are, are uh, probably elements that you're talking about where, Where things kind of fall off the wagon. So I wasn't. I don't think this is, uh, you know, uh, a a perfect, 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 perfect movie. But it comes so close, and it comes so close to like one of my examples of of what I think a perfect heist movie is. That that it's that it's. I think that's that's an award unto itself. Okay. Because because the bar is so high, and this reaches so far. So we're now Um,
0: going into spoiler town. We're driving the car with one shot from from no spoilers for about seven minutes and they were driving up to the spoiler mansion
1: and this and that is the moment where i kind of like moved into cinematic bliss with this movie oh real good uh that was such a great such an exhilarating example of smart uh Effortless filmmaking, you know, like it was it was just such a wonderful example of like how to tell a story in the simplest You know how to tell a story in the most essential way how to tell two Uh, stories
0: Without you realizing it until the end
1: the, the the amazing thing is that that sequence is telling us so much uh, it's telling us the story of corruption that Colin Farrell's character has, you know, like he lives in this, in this uh, ward that is so close to his own home, but lives in an entirely different universe Yep. Um, that he has built this. Um, I, 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 the thing that got me excited about that was the layers of what that shot is. So in the middle yeah. of the film, we, we, we uh, go to a rally that Colin Farrell is holding, you know, to, to kind of seal his place for the, for the ninth ward or 14th ward or whatever it is, um, And he's talking about a program he's instigated where he gives out small business loans to people in the local community so that they can build up their business yeah um and the thing that's amazing that starts about it is we like most of the time you know a film like this a scene like this might be filled with extras that are like really excited about the thing that he's talking about. But in this sequence, nobody's excited about the thing he's talking about. In fact, there's a journalist there who's trying to get a different story and he's the only excitable person. And everyone else feels like they kind of just have to be there. Right. Um, And so then the camera, then then Colin Farrell gets into the car and the camera stays fixed in one position in the front of his car. Um, And we hear this, and so we're seeing the kind of the extreme poverty that they're living Mm -hmm. in. And then we hear this conversation that starts off in the strangest note with Colin Farrell asking his assistant, have you ever slept with a black man? And we realize that Colin Farrell has this like weird, um, weird uh, obsession with like the distinction between black and white. We hadn't quite seen it before, you know, like we we weren't quite sure where he stood on that issue. And then he he kind of continues on about how this is all bullshit, how he hates doing this job, how, you know, he hates having to run for the selection and we realize that the the whole thing that he's been doing um, out there in the, you know, in this rally has just been bullshit. Then the camera pivots to the right ever so slightly so that you see that the driver is an African-American man. And yep. He's having this conversation, uh, this full-throated conversation about race, about politics, about the bullshits of Chicago, um, all in front of his driver, who is African-American. So he's kind of like, has this inability to kind of see the the power of his words in front of other people and then again this has all been a single take and they eventually get out and they get they walk up to the mansion which we realize is only a seven minute you know which is an opulent sort of beautiful mansion and is only like a seven minute drive From dire poverty, and that whole sequence kind of just outlays so much information with one single take.
0: I was like, "Oh my god, this is this is incredible!" And you even left out the part with his assistant basically showing dominance over him. So his assistant is this sort of up to this point, this mousy redheaded woman, Um, and then when they're in the car. They, it turns when he's just complaining, he asks her if she's ever slept with, uh, you know, uh, a black man. Uh, Molly Koontz is the actress Um, and and. She's like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? And she sort of snaps on him while this is all going on. Is like, this is our life. You need to man the fuck up, put your goddamn big boy pants on and get this shit done because this is what we do. And then like you never see that character again sort of in that light. But you then realize how sort of small uh, of a man Jack Mulligan sort of is. And then later on, even when there's a conversation with the, with uh, Tom Mulligan, his father, um you sort of see even more, which does kind of twist that narrative even further when we get to it. But back to that shot, it was great. I didn't realize, like, that's a shot of consistent discovery. You have yeah. the narrative going on in the dialogue, you have the the reveal that the driver is an African-American man, you have the reveal that it's still the same shot, and then when he pulls up to the, I, I feel like I got onto the, the, the oh, it's just a, a hop, skip, and a jump away from poverty to this mansion, I got on that train probably like one or two seconds late, because I only got it right when they got out of the car, and I was like, wait, that was one shot, that was one shot, they just drove the whole time, that's so close, yeah. and like, <laughs> so like, every part of that is engaging, and it left you more and more stuff to just discover as you watched it. So that was easily one of my favorite moments uh, in this film. It's, it's, it's extraordinary, right? Uh, I've seen another shot uh,
1: like that in a film called, uh, this is going to take me a second to pull it up, but it was a film about a restaurant worker who basically gets tormented By a phone call, and there's a shot at the end of the film. The movie was called Compliance, and it has a similar shot like that. And it's just such a, it it kind of like goes to show the power of, I guess, location, you know, in a way, because it's basically it's really highlighting the 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 disparity in location um, through the single take. And yeah, in this case, though, the thing that's amazing about it is the fact that it reveals itself slowly over time. Um, And then you know, like from the the other side of the, just the sort of tactilely exciting part of this film again had to come down to Cynthia rivio's character um she was just this sort of this visceral powerful strong force in this film that you know like she she had this sort of quiet energy about her that every time she was on screen as bell uh i was kind of like i want to see a whole film with that character and then there was this sort of amazing moment where she's like creeping around the mansion and she climbs up onto a fence and she's kind of like stalking uh, the security guards to see what's happening. I was like, and I was like in the back of my head, it was like, Cynthia of for Batwoman. Cynthia of for Batwoman. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Give her all the superhero roles at this moment. It was just something just so, something about her screen presence that was just so enigmatic and compelling that I just couldn't take my eyes off her any moment she was on screen.
0: And very different from, say, the Bad Times of the El Royale. Like it was a completely different energy, which I'm yeah, always yeah. again impressed with. Um, yeah so good uh obviously Viola Davis is great uh obviously I mean, you know what I, you know what I really appreciated about this film and this is a minor thing but that they didn't lean into the Michelle Rodriguez stereotype
1: yeah, Michelle Rodriguez, yeah, like Michelle Rodriguez could play the Cynthia Revio character ten years ago. Kind of that's what she would do. I mean, she could play but,
0: it now. The woman is yeah. a vampire and does not age. but the the fact of the matter is that she played the character who wasn't a good shot. She yeah. played the, and it was funny. I, I I could see a little bit of struggle. like Michelle Rodriguez just looks natural <laughs> shooting a gun at this point because I've been inundated yeah. throughout my entire life to have her be the badass, yeah um but like i was like oh good they didn't just lean on that like they let michelle rodriguez do her part make small choices it was very nice so the thing that didn't work for me comes back to viola davis's character and i
1: think the central plotting of this film so towards the back end of this movie there are obviously reveals and we're in spoiler town now so we can reveal so we can say that but the but you know the biggest reveal of this film is that harry is still alive What? And, she's not and, a widow <laughs> She's not a widow. Yeah, exactly. The title of fake news. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, and, and I thought again the reveal of that was really powerful. Yeah, like when we basically see the dog kind of barking at this door, and and what's so cool about the scripting there is that we think so for 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 Veronica the reveal there is, is that that um, Amanda's child. Might be Harry's child, you know, because she can he can smell that, and like she can smell that that she's been there. Yeah. But then Veronica leaves the room, not opening the door with that revelation, and then Amanda opens the door, and uh, and we see that Liam Neeson is actually there, like he's still alive. Yep. And so I thought that was like a really powerful moment, but unfortunately, what the the thing that I think where this film starts falling into sort of uh overhand uh, heavy handed kind of like. Twisty plotting has to do with like there's one scene in particular, um, and that's the 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 sort of flashback to how Veronica and Harry's son died, right? um, Which is a flashback to you know to which we can you know like a a, a police uh, violent you know police brutality sort of thing where a, a young African American male is driving a nice car and is shot. Now the thing about this was that prior to that we'd seen a kind of quick flash of the funeral. Uh, of yes. their son, so that came before we saw, figured out how his son, the son, had died, and I kind of felt that the f- the funeral was all I needed to know. Like the the suggestion that they had a son, that the son died, and that Harry had now tried to go on and make another family was kind of more intrinsically valuable to what I needed to know about Harry than anything that the police brutality story kind of gave me. And I think what started happening is there was sort of... There was some over-explanation towards the end. Again, it's not terrible. It's not terribly done. Right. uh, But it's the points where I was kind of like, oh, I just loved when the dead son was just an image of a dead son, you know," and we had to kind of fill in the blanks ourselves. Right. When they started explaining it, the whole thing, I was like, oh... I you know I think this is doing more harm to the film than good at this point. Are you
0: talking about when they're basically like, "Oh, you you when when Liam Neeson basically started to um malign or even have negative feelings towards Viola Davis because their son was black in a weird way? Is that like the that that it, aspect it, I, of it or the way that it's told, are you saying?
1: I think seeing it kind of seeing it, seeing the whole thing play out lessens it. You know what I mean? Like just knowing what that they had a Like, that they had, like, to me, Viola Davis saying you wanted to start a new white family is enough. You know, like, is enough. You know, like, I don't need to see what happened to the son. Um almost
0: I, and, and, and I think I think from a storytelling perspective and 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 from a 100% trying to make the cleanest story possible I agree with you. I also think that this is a film that due to its other stuff that does seem a little bit sort of out of a out of a out of a 2018 uh best of the worst of book. Mm-hmm. Uh like this does fit here and it yeah. and it didn't distract me so much as as sort of hammer home. In fact, that was the most effective of I feel like other than other than obviously the seven minute scene, um, sort of of the the racial undertones of this entire situation. But didn't
1: you didn't you feel when that scene started happening like you knew where it was gonna go? Sure,
0: but there's I think again, I think there's a this is a weird it, for the time and the place that we're in currently as a society, there is a value. To consistently being reminded and in, in around in a lot of our media of the shit that happens. Now, yeah, again, I, I, I get, I get that. I I, I, I totally understand. And I'm that. I'm saying, and I agree with you from the fact of if I wanted the cleanest story possible or the tightest story possible, let's say, I would not have included that scene. But I think, you know, the director and the producers and everybody definitely had a, a, a something they wanted to say and they wanted to show and I think yeah. that's why it's there and I don't malign it for it but I do see your point of it does seem excessive only from a story itself standpoint.
1: Yeah, it's not not to do, yeah, it's got nothing to malign where we are as a society right. and, like, and how much this actually happens in real life. It's not that I didn't believe that that scene happened. I just think that that the film goes into sort of over-explaining mode. Um, and, and then there's a sort of consequential story element that I think the film had an opportunity to do but doesn't do, uh, which is that when Viola Davis, I guess, realizes that Harry is still alive, there's an opportunity for the rest of the crew to find this out, and they don't because it would have been interesting to have them have to turn on Viola Davis's character because essentially her husband got all of their husbands killed on purpose and now she's trying to get them to pull this new heist. Uh, I think it would have been an interesting opportunity to kind of like increase the tension in the dynamics of the group that way. It's not a bad, you know, like not a bad thing they didn't include it, but I was like, it's kind of a big, big reveal to kind of know that that harry purposely got all of their husbands killed and
0: it's something that they don't know also just throwing this out there Mm -hmm. viola davis could have just gone to the people she owes money for and be like i found out my husband's alive and he's a scumbag he's hiding at this house and then (laughs) end of movie i I think the thing is is that she doesn't know that he's alive until the very last scene no she sees him she walks out of the house that's the like end of act two when that twist happens when the dog is is no sniffing but that's the, the thing she does, she she sits at the door and the dog she no, doesn't open the, the door, door that's what opens. I'm saying the door opens no,
1: the door opens after nope. she leaves that um oh that you she you're knows one hundred percent that he is alive
0: that the flask no, is no, on no, no, the no. flask is on the table yeah. the dog is smelling the door. door she cracks it open gasps and then no, no, leaves no, no, the no, place.
1: No. Write us in if you've seen the movie. Uh, Only movie podcast at gmail.com I'll put money on this right now. You're one hundred and eighty degrees wrong about that. Nope. She does not open the door, and that's the tension in that scene, which is what I described earlier. She just presumes. That Harry is the father of the child and has been here before, like he's smelling a coat. Then she leaves. Amanda comes out and opens the door, and the audience learns that pushes Harry is the in that door. Room. The
0: door is cracked. The door is cracked, and she sees, uh, and then she I, I, pushes I will, the door open to reveal bet to the audience. Money
1: on this right now. If you have seen Widows, please write us in and tell us your definition on that scene. I or
0: or if you're mm-hmm. about to go see it, let's say that too. Mm-hmm. Pay well, special if about attention. To go see it,
1: if you're about to go see it, why would you be listening to us at this point? We've just spoiled
0: the movie. Eh, well, some people are. Some people <laughs> like. Some people like pain.
1: Uh, uh, I will. I will put money on that. I'll, I'll, what, what, what would you? What, what do you want to put down on it? I will put one dollar on it. I'll put a whole dollar down on that. That is the 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 the, the whole thing. Is there is that she she doesn't open the door. Um, but let, let's let's uh, let's entertain and see where that goes. Yes. Um. So also,
0: also another plot hole. Just because we're on the uh, the thing of sort of weird moments in it. Uh, why does maybe you can answer this for me? Uh, why does the woman who is suppo- supposedly supposed to be the fourth widow in this thing and then isn't uh, <laughs> uh, the woman who he's having an affair with, who Harry's having an affair with? Why does she finally go to Viola Davis's character after not going at first? I think the
1: implication there is Harry kind of tells her to go, like Harry's kind of pulling the strings there.
0: That's what I thought. Uh, But then I was like, there's literally no call in the movie about that. So there's an interesting thing, which, so what was Harry's plan?
1: Um, Harry's plan, I believe... And I think that, like, when I watched the movie, I was a little confused about this. But Harry's plan is that he wants to break away and start a new life. So he gets a job for Colin Farrell's yep. uh, Mulligan character to rob his uh, his opponent uh, Jamal uh, Jamal's uh, sort of fund for his for his election campaign, which is two million dollars. He he steals that money, kills his entire crew, then leaves the money with Colin Farrell in the hope that uh Veronica sells his plans for how to break into that to Jamal so that Jamal will then like I don't think uh Harry ever intended for Veronica to kind of like take on the heist herself he was just supposed to sell the book sure um and and then is he going to so then is Harry then going to take the money after that like i'm not i'm not sure what was the major incentive for him to kill off his you know everyone he knows, and to like fake his own death. Mm.
0: You know what I mean? Like it, it seems a little confusing. Sure, I mean there's a lot of stuff sort of in the third, this the end of the second, beginning of the third act that's a little bit confusing to get us sort of. Uh... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit um um, it's a little bit confusing about that, and, and I think and I think you know that sort of like overall confusion doesn't make the film feel as kind of like concisely cleanly put together. Sure. but I think I think for me you know and and then there's this uh, there's a sort of other thing which I can kind of explain away, which is like uh, uh, Cynthia Revio's character Bell is clearly the fastest runner, the strongest person, uh, but she's outside driving when they clearly have already ha- established that it's very this could be a very difficult thing that requires someone fast and strong to be inside the heist. Uh, you know, maybe it's because nobody else could drive. I guess. Yeah, but that was the, like, yeah,
0: that was the interesting part. No one knew how to drive well.
1: Yeah, but I was like, okay, I could kind of, I could kind of buy that. I guess, I suppose, maybe if you kind of like lit it, you know, like if it, if it, if it, if it kind of works. Uh, but you know, like I was like, just from a, just from a like logistical point of view, you've got this amazing. Athletic, you know, smart, capable person, they should be on the front line of this heist. Right. Uh, as opposed to on the back end
0: of it. I don't know. You know um, what? Hold on. I just had a revelation, and I might mm-hmm. just owe you a dollar mm-hmm. right now already, but we could still have people ask it. There mm-hmm. was a moment in this film, and it was this moment. So maybe I just built something in my mind where at the moment when the dog's barking and you see the flask, there was yeah. an older couple sitting next to me and Jamie uh, mm-hmm. talking. Just. Fucking talking and I leaned forward and just stared at them for a solid (laughs) 10-15 seconds till the guy noticed and I put my finger up like shh and then he was quiet and I looked back and Viola Davis like went whoo and then ran out of the place so I might have built in the fact that she opened the door right
1: uh I, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm a hundred percent certain. Though I have been proven wrong in the past that she doesn't open the door, and it's only after she leaves that the door is open and we see who's behind the door. I could have sworn um, then
0: that the, I still have this memory. And I guess it, that whole thing is a you know in and out of a movie sort of thing. But like I still have the memory of the door not being pushed open, but the camera just coming around. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, you, you're, you're probably correct. Um, but let us know. Only movie at gmail dot com. Um, so again, it kind of sum total,
1: like the, the the interesting thing here is the heist is kind of a very quick heist and it's very, uh, you know, like for all their plotting and planning, the, the, the plan is basically just to run into the house and steal the money and run out. Um, you know, well, like they for case all the, the joint of, too.
0: They case it on yeah, the outside. They case it, it on yeah. the inside.
1: But, but what I like what I like about that is it seems very practical for like my level of heist, yeah, You know, yeah. Like, yeah. like 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 my level of capability. It's like, oh okay, so here's the house. We're just gonna figure out how to get in uh, and how to get out. The one thing um, we haven't really talked about much, and he's such a such an amazing presence in this movie, is Daniel Kaluuya's character. Of, oh yeah, um, uh, just a monster. What is his- Oh, my God. He's so good in this. Uh, Jatim. Yep. uh, Jatim. Uh, I might be French pronouncing that. (laughs) There you go. Jatim. But he is so menacing and so incredibly, you know, again, it's like the inverse of Cynthia Arrivo. I think, like, put a movie with Daniel Kaluuya doing that and Cynthia Arrivo doing the opposite, and I'm like, that's a team up I want to see or a head to head I want to see. Right. Yeah. He's so good in that, and and like I again, you know, speaking of little details, I love that the little details of that was that you would hear, you would see him waiting outside, um, you know, like watching something happen, and he'd be listening to a podcast about uh prison reform or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that, or or solitary confinement, and then in another case, he's listening to a podcast or listening to something about how to speak Spanish, right, 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 and every time like he's in a he's in a room, he's like. He's reading a book or something like that, you know, like and he sits down as the as they're about to kill Bash and watches the TV kind of like with his head cocked to one side, you know, like I. it's just such little details that like, again, make me feel like there is an entire film for this character building that, world. that I would have. Yeah, that I would totally happily watch um, the other like I, I, this. Is, yeah, I can. I, I get so excited about every single character in this movie, like Amanda's character, the architect that she's like having a relationship with, you know, like a paid relationship with. I feel like, you know, oddly, you I mean don't Alice? think I want to see him. What's that? You mean yeah, Alice? Lucas Haas. Yeah. Yeah. Alice. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Alice uh, is having an, a you know a relationship with kind of a paid transactional relationship. Um, I don't think I want to see a film with him, but I just, I was like curious, like, oh, he seems to know a lot about architecture. He's going to, like, he's got this trip playing to Shanghai. Everyone's got all this stuff going yeah. on. I even love the, the, the bowling alley um, guy who, wheelchair is, yep. bit. yeah. And that's, that actor is uh, one of my favorite, uh, like, he's one of my favorite parts of There Will Be Blood. Mm. Um, he played the brother in there, or the, the brother quotation marks in "There Will Be Blood," Kevin O'Connor, and I just loved seeing him. And I was like, you know, like the stabbing scene of him was so difficult to watch. I I loved all this. Uh, the score by Hans Zimmer, I, I think maybe is the the most familiar part of yeah. this film. Where I was like, I was like, oh, they're really Batmaning this up. And then yep. I checked after the film. I was like, oh, it is Hans Zimmer who did this. So you know, whatever. But um, again, this is. Uh, A fantastic film, one that I highly recommend, I'm going to get into my final thoughts here Um, one that, you know, just worked for me on almost every level and is the kind of film, the kind of uh, big, I, I guess because this is sort of meant to be a pleasurable kind of heist experience. And I think this is the kind of pleasurable heist experience that I really like, which is that it's it's rich, it's full, nothing is throwaway in this movie. And so I just loved every minute of it, despite having a few things that I think didn't quite work as well as I think they should have. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I'm so excited about this movie. If you haven't seen this at this point, please go
0: out and see it. Go out and see it twice. Wow. Uh, I, I think, uh, there, well, I, you know what? At first I was like, well, I don't know if I'd see it twice. Uh, maybe I would, only because the parts that I got felt confused about the few and far between. But I was like, this movie feels smart enough to me where if I watched it a second time, all of the answers are there and I just probably didn't catch them the first time around. So I can totally uh sort of um, second that notion. Um I think it's great. I think, uh, you know, this is one of those movies I want more people to actually go see in the theater, even if you just go once. Because I'd like, you know, a little bit of... um let, let, let the let the number cruncher people know that people will actually go see films uh, with this sort of emotional weight and resonance that's not all about just like a gigantic heist or like a, a world-ending experience or like whatever the hell. Um, yeah, and again, I had minor gripes, nothing nothing remotely even uh, worth uh, denoting except if you were going to go into an in-depth discussion, as we just did. Uh, in fact, you know what? My, my biggest problem, I'll tell you right now, my biggest problem with this movie... Was Liam Neeson's excessive tongue kissing in the first oh, minute? I uh, loved that. Oh, you know what? It was I gross. just, I, I just
1: loved that. Um, that they went for it right in the first scene. Oh, I was wow. like, because, because you were seeing a couple, and I was like, oh yeah, they were really going for the tongue. I like, yeah. I mean, I don't want to see my parents snaking out, <laughs> but, but at the same time, I was like. I liked that the movie was going. I would there.
0: have no problem with people of any age doing any activity in this film. It's just there was it. It was the it was like it was watching a bad kisser kiss, and maybe that was an acting <laughs> choice. And I was just like, "Oh." I love that the couple felt genuinely in love for the first half. of it. Yeah, like they were yeah, like and that a helped, really helped ex- the twist. Yeah, really excitable couple. Yeah, um, agreed. So I
1: love that, yeah.
0: Well, this has been the only podcast about the film Widows. Shaheer, when you are not staring lovingly at Liam Neeson's sweet, sweet tongue action, where can folks find you? I'll probably be hiding in the corner of a shower, to be honest with you, but you can catch me
1: at www.shaheerdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Uh, Matt, when you are not uh, shushing the people in the theater next to you to the point it's missing – potential plot points and I really want to get this I want to I know who, who's right or wrong on this one uh where can people find you you
0: can find me silently judging and staring at you at m-a-t-t-h-e-w-k-r-o-l dot com for my life and works also skeletor the number four p-r-e-z on instagram or emperor m-s-k on twitter and of course you can find all of uh, the video essays I narrate and show run over at extra credits youtube channel check that out and uh we'll be back next week with another movie I know there's another
1: movie right now that you will be dying to see, but I'm not sure I can make it to the movies to see. Which
0: one? Into the Uh Spider-Verse?
1: yeah, Into uh, the spider man It has a
0: hundred, not that Rotten Tomatoes means anything, <laughs> but I always get excited when movies I like, or supposedly like, uh, have hundreds yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. Also, there hasn't been a negative review yet that I've read of it. They say it's one mm-hmm. of the greatest stories of, like, becoming a hero, being taught to be a hero by someone mm-hmm. who's forgotten how to be one, and that sentence really threw me over the top. It We 100% mm-hmm. have to do Into the spider man I know
1: we have to do it. I just, I, I may not be able to get out of the house because of my spotty state and contagious well, state right now. Well, we got right a now. while. It comes out
0: on the 13th, I think, so... We, oh, okay. we got time. I, the reviews have been oh, rolling out today. The, review, the embargo, because they were so good, got dropped. So like two weeks ahead of time or whatever, they're just letting them fly. So This is So
1: this is the tricky thing is that I think December 12th is the movie that I'm most excited about this year comes out on Netflix. Which is uh, Alfonso Cuarón's Roma. Well, maybe we could Which do I, a
0: double, a double header. Uh, at least I don't think either of us want
1: to dilute each other's e- each other's uh, properties, right? No. Like,
0: so maybe if we could see one early, we could try that. What? Let's no, use we're, our we're sweet z celebrity
1: we, we, internet ties. We're, we're absolutely going to do both of them. Uh, if you have uh, uh, an opinion about whether the door is open, please email yes. us and, and, and have a vested interest. Maybe you can up the ante on this. Please email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod.
0: And if you, to, were, that, uh, if you were that couple that I was shushing, you were definitely watching it so you could email us and let us know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, until next time, yeah. I guess.
0: Let's, uh, let's hope we're in the same room and
1: I don't uh, I don't uh, get you sick with my diseases. Yeah, I get Maybe better. you and I could tongue kiss. I get better. And, uh, and that will be how we'll know if I'm cured or not, uh, is if uh, we tongue kiss and at the end of it you're not sick. I
0: mean, I don't want to do that, but if it ever happened, it would not be like Liam you Neeson. You do it in the name of
1: science? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm imagining it right
0: now. So you, you do not have a particular set of skills. Anyway, <laughs> gotta go. Bye. Bye.